With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. The boys are back, and it is a, a guest I've wanted to have on for a very long time. Um, this is probably someone who wishes that John Curry back in the day did not just forward a random email from a high school student because from that moment on, I never stopped trying to email, text, or DM this guy. He is my favorite sitting athletic director. I hope this is an episode Gene Taylor decides not to listen to. He's probably single-handedly responsible for one of the biggest turnarounds in Cleveland State athletic history. He is my friend, the best Scott I know, Scott Garrett. The AD at Cleveland State. Scott, how are you doing today? It's, uh, you know, how's the weather up in Ohio? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty pleased with the weather down here in Shawnee, Kansas. Well, it's good to good to hear you, hear from you, Scott. I appreciate you reaching out and giving me a, a chance to be on the Bosco Boys podcast. Um, it, it has been a while since we last uh, saw each other. It is a beautiful, sunny day here in, in Northeast Ohio. Summers in Cleveland are beautiful, and um, summer arrived for us a couple of weeks ago and definitely looking forward to taking advantage of uh, the summer months and uh, hopefully some time off here over the next couple of weeks. Um, but, but yeah, happy to visit today about um, my time at K-State and what I've been doing since. Yeah. So I actually think the last time I saw you in person, I can see you on video. It was our first time going up to talk to Gene Taylor. I think I popped into your office back in, uh, you know, the veneer building and then I think it was what, you know, eight months later, you, you, you're now the head honcho at Cleveland State. We'll get into all that. But what I wanted to first talk about, what was your journey like to get to K-State? Because again, uh, I, I, I've always enjoyed asking people and I've had on uh, people who work at K-State, just anyone who works in college athletics, what was your journey to your time at K-State? Yeah, so I mean, real real briefly, the, the early part of the journey was uh, undergraduate at Illinois State in marketing and business administration, knew there that I wanted to get into athletics administration and work in college sports. Um, I went straight from there for to grad school and received my master's in sport management at Indiana University. Uh, my first job was uh, as an assistant director of ticketing and marketing at University of Illinois, Chicago, where I was really an intern, um, uh, which might as well have been unpaid. Um, it, it paid for gas. Uh, and then I was fortunate to get promoted into a, a director role there, spent five years, uh, and then moved to Kansas. So I'd grown up in the Chicagoland area, had been fortunate to be in that footprint for uh, my entire life up to that point, and then kind of took a chance, um, made my way to Wichita State, um, with the intent to really be there more more time than I, I spent. But I was there 
a little over a year and a half and this job at Kansas State opens up and um, I was an assistant athletic director at Wichita State. I was on the senior staff. It was Greg Marshall's second and third year there. And so, you know, just in the infancy of, of their basketball success or resurgence and um, this job as assistant athletic director fan strategies opens at K-State and I didn't really know anybody at K-State. There were some folks at Wichita that knew uh, that had some mutual acquaintances of people that they could reach out to at K-State. And so I just kind of started exploring, you know, what is this job? What does it look like? I, you know, looked up the bio of the athletic director and John had, Curry had just recently got there from Tennessee and had st started to restructure and reshape what the, what the staff was going to look like. And so I, I put my resume in and, and didn't really hear back anything. Right. Um, and then we're set to play a baseball series at Wichita State against, I think, Washington State that weekend in late February, or I guess it had been early March at that time, 2009 and, uh, or 2010. And um, our, our baseball series gets snowed out. And that same weekend is the NCAA tournament games in Oklahoma City, where KU eventually lost to Northern Iowa, and K-State, I think, played North Texas and BYU were the games there in, in Oklahoma City. So me and a couple friends that I worked with at Wichita State went to see those games because we suddenly had the weekend free. And so I knew the K-State guys were going to be there, didn't really know anybody, and um got connected with Casey Scott, who's the senior associate AD now at K-State and has been there for a very long time in a number of different capacities, but got connected with Casey, was texting him during the game while KU was losing, um, which which was fantastic, right, to be in the building uh, to, to, to see that. And then um, that was one of the like, <laughs> that followed by the BYU game taking down Jimmer. That was a great all time great sports day for me. It was, uh, I mean, quite the environment to have both fan bases there and just see great college basketball. And that was, you know, obviously um, the beginning of, I, I think, a special era for K-State basketball. Um, and so in between games, right, KU has just lost to Northern Iowa. And in between games, I, I get invited by Casey through text to go and, you know, introduce, get introduced to the k-state team that was there so it was kenny lanue and reed sigmund and i don't recall if i actually met john at that time or not but i had met enough of the staff that they were able to put kind of a name and a face together i told them i had applied for this ticketing and fan strategies position i was really interested in it and then about a week later i get the call to start the interview process and i was just really fortunate to to land that position as assistant ad at k-state and that's kind of where where the journey started in manhattan yeah and during that time, you, you know, you saw some great success in the whole ticketing realm. I think that's where I first started bugging you. And then uh, the, our fun little student group. Uh, and through that, I got to know so many people in the KSA Athletic Department. What was it about that group of people? Was it just a vision that John had? Or was it just something about K-State that attracted so many people who then went from K-State on to do so many great things because if you look at some of the folks who were there when you were there, uh, you know, you have multiple ADs who had come through. A lot of folks are doing great thing, things on the sports marketing side. What was it about the staff at that point in time that just kind of turned into a future who's who of folks in the industry? Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly uh, the, the attraction of kind of the legacy of K-State athletics and K-State football and what Coach Snyder had built attracted a number of us there. Um, and then as, as you know, for those that were 
more familiar with with John and and those of us that got to know John, you know, that were recruited or interviewed in into the organization, you know, that part was special too of working working with John and being on that team. And we had we had so many great talented people that were really, you know, kind of emerging in their career from um, you know, entry or mid-level positions into more senior positions and just kind of learning and teaching and helping each other along the way. Um, and, and it was such a great time to be there, right? We, over that, over the course of that time to, you know, be there for Coach Snyder's, you know, second um, stint and the success that we had there with the Cotton Bowl and the Big 12 Championship. Um, you know, what we saw from Coach Martin and then Coach Weber in men's basketball, the success we experienced there. Um, and some of the other successes we had in the other sports, volleyball and, and baseball, introducing women's soccer into K-State athletics. There's just all the construction, the facilities construction that we went down that path that really there had been no facilities construction in athletics for, you know, 10 or 15 years. And then to go off and build, you know, two to three hundred million dollars in athletics facilities over a very short period of time was special, too. And so we just, you know, we rolled up our sleeves. It was a lot of really hardworking people that cared about the institution and cared about one another. And I was, you know, really fortunate to be there at that time and just, you know, absorb all sorts of knowledge that that I was able to carry not only with with me here to Cleveland State, but then as we transitioned from John to Gene and 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 went through that process, it, I think it was you know helpful to have been there um, and help in Gene's transition um, to to really allow allow him and help him hit the ground running too. Definitely. So the next thing I had on here was what was it like being in that athletic department? Because you you, you mentioned it. You have the year where you win the Big Twelve in football, basketball, and and baseball. Throughout that time, while while those seasons are going, you have shovels in the dirt building facilities. What was it like during that, that you know, you know, eight month period where that season kicked off? You broke ground on multiple facilities and brought home three titles. Was it, you know, were you able to catch your breath even once during that time frame? Yeah, I remember a lot of uh, really a lot of late nights and early mornings and, you know, lots of planning and discussion and, you know, certainly celebration. Um, along the way too, but you know it was just special to 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 be there during that time um, with some really monumental accomplishments for the history of the university and the athletic department. And there are just so many people that play played a role in that to be you know to carry with me to be have been just a very small piece of that success um, during that time. It certainly shaped um, and transformed the trajectory of my career to have been lucky enough to be there and 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 really be a fly on the wall for some of it and be you know a driving part of other parts of it um I, i'm just fortunate to have, have been there and 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 been been along for the ride but it was i mean just an unbelievable time k-state is as you know is full of great people um not only the you know the folks in the department but all of the administration on campus the the fans and the donors um, and, and the student athletes as well. It's a it's a place where it's a roll up your sleeves mentality. You're fighting uphill with folks that you know are resourced better and are are you know have more student athletes, more coaches, better budget, bigger budget, you know, more fans at their stadium. But I think we you know certainly punched above our weight during that during that era. Definitely, you know, they, they kept that momentum going. You talked about how you went from John to Gene. Gene's still plugging away facility master uh, project. I know you were there when that was being talked about as well, but I want to transition then into your time at Cleveland State. So you get hired in April of 2019, I believe, 
What was that interviewing process like? Did you know you were ready to step up and be the man at an athletic department? And what attracted you to the Cleveland State job? Yeah, by the by the time I um, got involved in the in the search at Cleveland State, I I'd had an opportunity to get you know interviewed for a couple other um, similar positions o- over the course of you know three or four years. When I first started that process, you know my very first AD interview, um, you know several years before that, I I went into that room thinking I was ready, and then realizing walking out that I am nowhere near ready. Um, and so I was fortunate to, you know, have uh, John first and then Gene help position me and develop relationships with search firms and, and folks around the industry to be able to network myself um, to, to get a chance to have those opportunities. But um, by the time um, I got involved in the Cleveland State search, I did feel pretty confident that, you know, it was only a matter of time and that I was ready um, to take on the responsibility of leading uh, a, a Division One athletics department, and um, Mike Alden, uh, who was the former uh, athletic director at University of Missouri, um, was assisting Cleveland State with the um, the search. And I don't remember if he reached out to me or I, I reached out to him, but I had saw that it become it had become vacant, and that um, Mike was involved, and so we connected at some point. Um, early on in the process so that I could learn a little bit about what Cleveland State was looking for, how I might fit for that, and, um, and then eventually get inserted into the process. And then, you know, there were a couple of rounds of interviews. I came on campus and interviewed with um, President Sands and a couple other folks on campus for a, for a very preliminary round. And then um, they eventually brought, brought me and, and my wife, Christy, back into Cleveland to um, really do a kind of full day car wash type interview, meet all the different constituents and stakeholders that you would potentially be working with. And so it was more of a finalist interview. Um, and that's when it really felt real. And I went back and told Gene, you know, hey, I think, you know, I think I'm going to get this. And we started working through the transition process of for not only me departing K-State and coming to Cleveland State, but what would it look like with the responsibilities I was managing and, you know, how would you know, how would Gene, um, you know, uh, hand those off to other folks uh, in that in that departure? Definitely. Before we keep keep moving, I have to give a plug to the Locker Room app. It is the only free live sports talk app out there. And guess what? We go live every Thursday. It's now going to be my goal at some point to see how many sitting ADs I can get on our live show on a Thursday. So I'm going to have to be working hard with you. I'm going to have to work to try to get Gene on. You know, KU hired some guy. He probably, I could probably trick him into thinking he can come on. It's going to be a goal of mine to get three ADs on one Thursday night. So be prepared. I'm going to come after you. All the boneheads, download the app, join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. on the locker room app. Okay, so you get the job. And one of the moves that you had to make, and I remember watching it happen as a, uh, all of a sudden, you know, one of the biggest Cleveland State fans down here in Kansas you had to make a move pretty early finding a new basketball coach. I, we don't need to get into, you know, anything too crazy, but did you, before I talk about the great hire you made, did you think that, Hey, I might have to be get my feet wet and then making one of the biggest hires you'll have to in your early career that quick? Um, That's a really good question. Uh, I, I did not expect, at least from what I learned through, the interview process and the research that I had done coming into Cleveland State, 
um, you know, I, I, the, the realistic path was that, I, you know, we had time to evaluate that, um, you know, it was, it was April when I got there. Um, so the, the previous season had ended about a month before, um, you know, all my expectation was to evaluate the whole department. I had some administrative positions to fill. We had a swimming and diving head coach vacancy, a, a men's soccer head coach vacancy that I inherited. And so those were kind of the priorities is learn the department, you know, really figure out what the opportunities are, um, hire the vacancies that exist that I walked into, um, and then take really, you know, a year or maybe even more to evaluate the men's basketball program and where we were at and what that would look like, not only from a coaching and personnel perspective, but also from a, you know, fan engagement, revenue generation, fill in the building um, standpoint. And, um, on, you know, we're, we were in a position where by late that summer, um, it just became clear to me that um, we needed to make a change. There were, you know, there were things that uh, I was uncomfortable with that were happening in in the program, and um, ultimately decided that, you know, for for us to be positioned to be most successful, regardless of the timing, um, you know, we were the last Division One job open in that cycle. It was late July um, when we started that search, and um, so not ideal from a timing perspective, um, but but ultimately. Th- thought it was the, you know, the best um, path for us strategically um, and, and really was necessary for us for us to go down that path. Yep. So you end up hiring Dennis Gates and he's truly become a star in the making. Um, what was the process of getting him on board? Did you come in with a shortlist? I, you listen to a college sports podcast. They would say, oh, every AD across the country, they have, you know, a piece of paper in their pocket the day they're hired for all their major sports and they know who their calls are going to be. Is that truly the case? And if that was the case, was Gates on that list or how did he come to become, you know, the head of the Viking men's basketball program? Yeah. um, I think the answer to the first part of the question on whether you have a list or not, um, you know, I don't know. There's not a file stored on my computer or a written list in my pocket. I've got kind of a sense in my head of what is the marketplace. Isn't going to get it. Right, right. So if you ask now, I don't have an ongoing list, right? But it, but certainly, just like we did this off season, you know, if Coach Gates had had been fortunate enough to find you know an opportunity that he was interested in elsewhere, you know, if we were unfortunate enough to have to go through a transition this off season, I was prepared um, in the eventuality that that would happen of having put some thought into you know what that would look like. And so certainly, I think any athletics director, regardless of timing or when they think they might have to or not have to do a search like that in their in their really premier sports is prepared at least in their head of um, probably more kind of a, a profile of the type of candidates you'd be looking for. And then you do your own research as the you know, as it starts to become more clear that, hey, we might be headed down this path, then you start to really do research of, okay, I've got this kind of profile that I think is going to be what we're going to be looking looking for from a background perspective or the type of institution or the type of coach and what programs they've been with historically over the course of their career? Do you want somebody who's been a sitting head coach or, you know, do you want to go find an, a high major assistant coach? And so then, you know, we hired a, a search partner to assist with that process and you give them the profile and some of the names that you've been thinking about or that you've encountered in your research they'll add to that list and, and other folks that that they've you know seen in interview processes or know are out there and looking for opportunities that that also match sort of that that profile and then really you just attack the the list of you know 
with, with the help of, you know, whoever you're working with, the folks on your staff or, you know, calling different agents around the country or um, the, search, the search firm, if you're using one, you know, is really find out who's interested. And you might have, you know, 20 or 30 or even 40 coaches that match that profile you were looking for that are qualified for the job and that are legitimately interested in your job. And then you just get to work of evaluating each one and whether you want to spend time talking to them or bringing them in or introducing them to your search committee if you have one um, and just narrowing the pool down with the support of your leadership, whatever that looks like, the president, um, other senior leaders on campus, your board, um, different you know donors or stakeholders or other constituents that, that you feel like need to be part of that process to get the type of buy-in you would want to have that coach be successful when they take over. Now, that's a really long way of saying um, we, we had two weeks. <laughs> we hired a head coach in two weeks. And so that's a long list of stuff to do um, to really work through and find the right person that fits your institution and that your institution fits them and that they're positioned for success. And we're very fortunate to have found have found Coach Gates. Um, I met Coach Gates in passing, I think, at a Final Four networking event a couple of years prior. But it's not somebody that I had a relationship with. We, you know, it's we, it's not somebody I I would have been in regular contact with. But certainly was, you know, aware that he was at Florida State and that you know he was on on the precipice of interviewing for head coaching jobs, and it was only a matter of time that he was going to get one um, like ours. Yeah, and you know I. I think the fit's perfect. You know, he's, he's from Chicago. You, you know, if you look at his career, he was able to coach at some really good basketball programs. And uh, from an outsider looking in, I was excited to see him get in there again with, you know, that very short turnaround. So he goes on to win the conference coach of the year. And then this past year had one of coach, you guys, one of your best regular seasons ever won the conference tournament, got to third, you know, tournament in school history. I'm not going to lie. I had you guys going all the way to the elite eight. You know, I was, I was going for broke. I, and I enjoyed watching you guys play, you know, a lot of folks like to complain about ESPN plus down here. I enjoyed it because I was able to catch some of your games and really enjoy some fun basketball. But for the guy being the guy who hired him, how much extra pride did you have seeing him hit the ground running from year one and then really start to flourish last year in a season that, no one in the world was prepared for yet he found a way to thrive yeah i mean obviously to be sitting in the chair and go to the ncaa tournament in your second year as a division 1 ad um with a with a coach that that you were able to hire um it, it's different than the other ncaa tournaments i've been a part of right my first year at uic um with head coach jimmy collins we went to the ncaa tournament and unfortunately got got rock chalked in kemper arena as a as a 13 seed and that was my first real exposure to to ku um and so i you know certainly uh, touched on on that when uh, that feeling um through my nine or ten years at k-state but then to have you know be part of uh working with Greg Marshall and, and his staff before they went on on their magical final four run um, at Wichita State. And then, you know, to see, you almost lose count, but I think five or six NCAA tournaments between Frank and and um, Coach Weber um, during my time at K-State. You know, I you feel like, hey, I've been to the tournament, you know, seven or eight times, and it's kind of old hat, but the first time you're AD and it's your coach, um, and it's your guys that you've developed relationships with, the student athletes that are on our team and our coaching staff. Um, and to be there all the way through that along the ride and see their growth is 
is something that um, you know I take a, a huge amount of pride in. Um, and, and now the challenge in my nature is, you know, okay, moving on, right? We we got there, we did it. Unfortunately, we lost to Houston, who was a very good team. Uh, the question is, how do we take the next step? And that's my job is to figure out, you know, how did we how do we make sure we retain Coach Gates? Um, how do we make sure now that we're back open post pandemic that we fill the building and that we generate the type of revenue that we expect to generate through men's basketball to help them and all of our programs? Um, and, you know, how do we deliver a, an awesome experience for Cleveland State fans and friends and alumni and people, you know, who are just sports fans here in Northeast Ohio or, or Cleveland State fans down in the Kansas City area like you? Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're really hard at work at this point. We enjoyed it, but we're, you know, we're looking forward to trying to sustain the success and, um, and really make progress to have a chance to, to win a game in the tournament at some point. Definitely. So I believe I saw you guys did get an extension done with Coach Gates in this offseason. I've been following uh, some of the promotions you guys are doing to try to get that building filled. Um, you know, and again, if Cleveland was in driving distance, I might have to be, you know, getting season tickets myself to get up there. But how exciting has that been and how, you know, fulfilling has it been to see the fans respond, the excitement, then being able to get that done and set up for what could be another special year for you guys, knowing that you will be able to have fans in the building and it will resemble more of a normal basketball year, you know, when the late fall and early winter rolls around. Yeah, we, we stayed connected really as much as we could, you know, in this virtual environment with, with our fans throughout the run this year, we weren't able to have any fans in the building at all. So our fans really watched our team perform through ESPN plus or the three times that we were on national TV during the league season. Um, and then, you know, our engagement with them through, you know, season ticket holder zooms or, um, you know, calls with coach Gates and, and things like that throughout the course of the season. Um, it's special, right? Cleveland state's only been to three NCAA tournaments in the history of the school. Um, and so, and it's been, it had been 12 years since the, since the previous one. And so, you know, we want to narrow that window and not, not make it last 12 years between appearances. Um, unfortunately, I'm the first AD to actually lose, uh, the first round of the NCAA tournament, um, uh, because CSU had advanced, uh, at least past the first round the, the previous two times, but, um, you know, our fans were there in different in a different way throughout the course of a season. And we've got a great staff. I've, you know, I've learned a lot at K-State about how to do fan engagement and customer service right and make sure that we're intentional and thoughtful about how do we engage with fans and donors and people that want to be supportive of our programs and um, and have translated some of that into this environment. Um, and, and used some of those skills to, to do that in a, in, and be creative in a situation where we just couldn't have people in the building, unfortunately. Are you going to have a bacon night uh, when the stadium <laughs> opens back up? Uh, we will we'll try just about anything, Scott. I, I, I look forward to your ideas like you've shared over, over the years. You're, you're welcome to email me any ideas you've got. I, you know what? I'm going to. I Next time I, I can't sleep, I'm just going to come up with different ideas. Um, so we, we talked about what is your most high-profile uh, hire, and I knew some of this before. And then just a peek behind the curtain, I sent you a DM uh, just a few hours before this. I, I, I did a little bit of research. I knew some of this stuff, but I had no idea the extent of what all you did in your first 
year. And I'm sure this is nothing new to you, but the listeners, you know, I, I'm not sure if they realize how much work you did in that first year. So you talked about you inherited some coaching, uh, you know, openings, but I, if my research is correct, you hired Gates and five more head coaches under that first year. You overhauled the athletic department with 30 different staff hires. You revamped and launched a whole new fundraising arm for Cleveland State. And you guys had honestly some unprecedented success on and off the field in the classroom. Uh, I was just surprised how much like was accomplished in your first year. What was it about, you know, the opportunity you saw that you said, hey, look, we can accomplish all this in the first year. Or did you think, hey, I, I, I'm not going to have to do all this. And then I'll just start coming one after one after one. And then before you know it, you know, I could write a pretty impressive Wikipedia article just on your first year at Cleveland State. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, right? You, you know some of what the priorities are when you take a job like this. Um, and so you have to come in armed with a plan of what do you think you can accomplish in the first 30 days, 60 days, 100 days. Um, and then some of some of the other things that you accomplish are things that present over, you know, just over the natural course of being in the chair and, and being there at that time. And so some of it is intentional um, accomplishments that we set out to do. Things like, you know, I, I realized pretty early on, you know, probably before taking the job that there's no annual fund um, athletics giving program, right? The history of the school has been in a really good way, um, sports specific donations. Um, and, and some of our sports have been really, really successful at doing that, but there hasn't been like there is with the Ahern Fund at, at K-State um, or the national leadership circle that exists within the Ahern Fund. Um, there wasn't anything like that at CSU. So that was an opportunity and something that we could really accomplish early on and get out there and start to brand and and um, do some donor engagement through through that new thing that didn't exist before but things like some of the vacancies that we you know we filled are just circumstance of timing of when when do those jobs open or when do you transition people in and out of jobs and some of that is you know just natural from um, being there and being present when when those occur um, the first 10 months were really a sprint and I felt like we had started to really settle into a groove, right? So it was April through February, end of February, early March of 2020. Um, we had finished our strategic plan for the department. Um, we were really like uh, at the finish line of trying to release that. And then, and then we got hit with COVID, um, which, you know, obviously nobody was prepared for how to deal with a pandemic. And so we really shifted into pandemic operation and, you know, trying to run the department remotely and not really having an answer for when are we going to get back up and running? Are we going to play sports this year? What is that going to look like? What are the budget effects of the pandemic on the institution? And how does that relate to what we're doing in athletics? And so over really the last 14 months, you know, a lot of the things that I wanted to do coming in in the first couple of years, whatever we didn't accomplish in that first 10 months, we had to press pause on and really ride through this pandemic. Um, and now that we're now that we're really emerging from that, we can really get back to work on, you know, what does the future look like for this athletics program, not only men's basketball, but all 17 of our other Division One sports and how do we position them um, to be successful and how do we really affect the strategic priorities of the university. And, and that really is my focus of, um, you know, making sure that the department does that on a regular basis. 
Yeah, so we've been lucky enough to chat with uh, Gene Taylor, how he kind of learned the news and through his eyes, how we saw COVID happening right at the start. I, I just want to ask you, when did you first hear about, you know, COVID-19? When did you realize, okay, you know, we're losing? I, I don't know if you, did the Horizon League get their tournament in before everything started getting canceled? Yeah, we, we had. So I was on the road. Um, we had we had finished our regular season. Uh, we had lost in the first round of the men's uh, Horizon League tournament, and then our our women actually played into the um, to the semifinals of of the tournament. So I actually went on a road trip. I had in the first year tried to travel with every single one of our teams, and almost got there in the first year, um, but until COVID arrived, and then. Um, I was on a trip. I went with our wrestling team to DeKalb, Illinois, to see them play or um, compete in the uh, Mid-American MAC Wrestling Championships. And then I drove from Chicago to Indianapolis to um, see us play women's basketball in the Horizon League semifinals. And really, that's I think I was on that trip in Indianapolis when um, when the NBA game got canceled and that was like i think everyone was aware of covid and you know really not certain that it would impact our stuff but there was sensitivity to it um there had been some rumors in the rumor mill that hey the ncaa tournament's gonna get canceled or or they're talking about contingency plans if it gets canceled and i was like there's no way they're gonna cancel the ncaa tournament and so that nba thing cancellation happens with the jazz um we have a swimming invitational going on on campus in Cleveland with like 30 teams from all over the country, like 400 or 500 student athletes. And between the time I drove back, alerted our staff that, hey, we're going to try to get through our spring sports. There's just going to be no spectators. To like literally 12 hours later, we were shutting the swimming meet down. We were shutting down the university. Uh, we were canceling the spring sports season. The NCAA tournament was getting canceled. And so that all went from, hey, we're aware of COVID, you know, we're kind of keeping an eye on it, to this is full shutdown mode. That happened in like two days. Yeah, it's just just wild times. And then um, just, you know, one, I have a couple more questions before I wrap up with some stuff like that's on brand for our silly little fan show. Uh, so you, you go through all that at what point, because I even recall you, I was sending you um, some messages from stuff I was hearing, you know, on sports talk here in Kansas City before even football was talking about, about how they're trying to get ready to maybe even try to hold an entire conference season in a Kansas City bubble. What is the, uh, you know, most creative uh, thing that maybe popped up in your guys' meetings about trying to get a basketball or trying to get some of these winter sports in before it became evident that, hey, we can have it look somewhat normal playing, you know, back-to-backs, playing, you know, on campuses. What is, like, maybe the most creative thing that you guys talked about that didn't come to uh, fruition, luckily? Because I think we all think that it ended up happening about as good as we could have hoped. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that that uh, idea about playing in a bubble um, for, you know, any sport, whether it's football or basketball or any of our other sports, that really circulated, I think, through every league across the country of, you know, is that a realistic option? What would that cost um, relative to, you know, if we played in our own stadiums without fans or, you know, uh, or if we have limited travel or whatever. And so, you know, I think 
where everybody landed on it was probably obviously the right solution to be able to get through the course of the season. You know, I was impressed going going with our team and being in the NCAA tournament bubble um, to to pivot and and host the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis and the women's tournament in San Antonio and have all the teams there essentially, you know, quarantined and be able to get through that with, you know, I think just one game canceled is a remarkable accomplishment for everybody involved in the decision-making process and delivering those tournaments. Um, For us, I think the most creative thing that we did do that we deployed is, um, and I actually kind of like it, I wish we would do it moving forward, but I'm not sure that the coaches would agree, is we played our league basketball games, the same opponent on back-to-back days. And so we would play, um, for instance, Wright State, we played on the road, we went there and played them Friday and Saturday. Um, And so that was really unique to see what kind of adjustments teams would make playing the same team on back-to-back days and whether there'd be variety in the scores and how that impacted the competitive balance of the season. You know, I think it really worked out well for us and limited the number of games that were canceled throughout the course of the year. I think, um, you know, we, we ended up fulfilling and being able to pivot and reschedule games through that format and get like 90% of our scheduled games in, which is better than I think the national average of, of um, conferences where, where they had cancellations. And so um, that, that I thought was pretty creative and something that actually could, could probably work even in a, even in a post pandemic situation. Definitely. All right. This is the last one before, like I said, I'm going to go on brand for our uh, show. Uh, Again, observing how you have run and marketed Cleveland State, I can't help but think that there are a lot of people down here in the Kansas City Metro who might be uh, jealous or envious of the buy-in and kind of the uh, support from the greater Cleveland community. I I see uh, you've done interviews and gone on sports talk shows there. I feel like there's a lot of buy-in even from some of the, you know, professional athletes in Cleveland when Cleveland State succeeds you know, the city of Cleveland takes notice. I think that uh, living in the Kansas City Metro for a while, I think that, you know, UMKC probably looked and be like, man, why can't we get that here? Is it something about the relationship between the university athletic department and the city that has made that successful? Or is it really as easy as, hey, putting yourself out there and when you succeed, people will notice? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously the difference, one of the big dif- outside of the big big difference which is we don't have football um uh, the other big difference of this relative to my experience at k-state is we are an urban research research institution right we're not a land-grant um rural uh uh university and so there's not that two-hour you know gap um of distance between uh, the school and um and where their alumni a lot of their alumni live um, you know, I think 85% or more of our alumni of Cleveland State stay and live in North, and work in Northeast Ohio. Um, we, our campus is literally in the heart of downtown. Um, we're, we're a block um, east of, of really the downtown footprint. Um, and so um, the synergies from, uh, you know, our alumni going to work in downtown Cleveland, becoming Cleveland sports fans, growing up as Cleveland sports fans, us being the only Division I um, team program in in Greater Cleveland, um, those are all dif- differentiators, right? Versus what K State might experience with um, KU, um, you know, 
closer to Kansas City and then Kansas City being disparate in terms of how many alumni bases are are represented. Um, nonetheless, relationship building is really important. And so that's that's really part of my my role and responsibility that I've embraced here is getting to know the city and the community. There's a lot of corporate opportunities. There's um, the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission, which I sit on. Um, there's the partnerships with the local pro teams that that we can develop on a on a day to day basis and think about how those affect each other strategically. And so it is a huge asset for us um, and something that that we can really continue to build on. That um, maybe other institutions that aren't in the heart of a, a of a metro area have the ability to necessarily do. Yeah, I, I think I might have misspoke my own word. I, I was comparing it almost like UMKC and how they have struggled to get the traction here. And I, I, I think that some of what you said, that you know, the divide of the different alumni base is really playing there. But I want to get into some of the more fun questions uh, that I kind of have written down. The first one I want to do is, uh, you're a fellow Chelsea fan. Where were you uh, watching the Champions League final? And how crazy did you go when, Ty Havertz got that goal and that eventually was the first half winner. <laughs> I was really excited. Uh, I've adopted Chelsea probably over the last 10 or 12 years as my, um, as my football club um, for a variety of reasons. My son actually is a Man City fan, and so we watched oh, it in cool. opposition to each other. Um, but I, had our, I actually had our uh, faculty athletics representative here um, at the house, we watched it here on uh, in my living room. Um, he is also a Chelsea fan and and somebody that I work with very closely. Um, and so we we watched it here together. I was pretty pumped up uh, at the goal. Uh, I was disappointed that uh, Pulisic did not uh, uh, bag the goal that that he attempted, and um, I was excited to see him see him win it. It was very cool. Yes, definitely. So another one, and I. I'll give my answer to this and give you a little extra time to think. We love talking about uniforms on this show. Of all of the Cleveland State uniforms that your your teams wear, what is your favorite? I did some research on this one. I am obsessed with your all-white look for lacrosse, the white helmets, the white jerseys, the white shorts. So that's what I would go with as an outsider. But from the guy sitting in the big chair, is there one uniform you enjoy seeing down, out on the field or court more than any of the others? Yeah, that's a good one. I, I know that black uniforms are very dividing in fan bases, especially if it's not one of your primary colors. But I, I think they look really sharp, regardless of what your school color is, except for maybe Iowa State wearing their blacks. I know I know you really hate that. Um, I, black uh, for for our for some of our teams, I think looks really, really sharp and the and the student athletes love it. So that that would probably be my answer. I think the black and green looks good. I, I would say it just looks, especially when their main rivals, Iowa, that's, I, mean, it's, it's what I, <laughs> so I, I know you spent a little time at was or uh, at Wichita State. I think you're aware of uh, my opinion. I've evolved on this a little bit, but what was your thoughts when you saw that uh, Bruce uh, and well, at the time, I think it was Greg Marshall. He was there when it was inked, but you know, uh, Greg is gone. So what were your thoughts when you saw that they are renewing a basketball rivalry? Yeah, I know it's something that we tried to work on a couple different times when I was there. Um, it, it really came up when we started playing in Wichita. I know we we had played the Gonzaga and West Virginia games before West Virginia was in in the conference, and um, it came up every time we would go to play it in Trust Bank Arena. Um, it's I think it's exciting. It's good for the state. Um, I think it's you know obviously you don't want to lose that game if you're if you're Kansas State. Um, 
in the programs over the years that that's been tried to put together, from my recollection, they've just been in different stages of their life cycle, right? So K-State might have been a, been a little bit down, and Wichita State was really a, a national tournament caliber program, and then vice versa later on as they as they circled back to try to get that going. I think now both programs are in are in a position where it's not going to hurt one or you know one or or more the other. Um, for, for them to play. And I think it, you know, anything that creates a great environment in, in a college basketball setting that's good for the sport, um, I, I think is beneficial. It's very hard to generate crowds, uh, especially in the non-conference season when you're battling football and the attention that, that football takes. So anything you can do to get, you know, a packed arena, um, I, I'm all for. Okay, when, when fans are returning to Cleveland State basketball, are you going to play Sandstorm? <laughs> I I was uh, uh, one of the folks that had their finger on the sandstorm button over the years. Uh, a big fan of the um, the type of reaction it, it elicits from the crowd. Um, we are a big we are big sandstorm fans, and we don't have quite the the um, the, the chanting or or clapping when when we play it here. But I look forward to working with our team to figure out how to how to take that step. Who's your guys' biggest rival? Um, that's a good question. It's probably more specific to different sports. Um, from a basketball standpoint, our travel partner over the years has been um, Youngstown State. They're the closest team to us. Um, back when Butler was in the league, there were some really good uh, Cleveland State Butler men's basketball games. Um, and so I don't know that I would pick one out as our as our main rival. We have some very good rivalries across our league and some really good basketball programs that um you know we enjoy trying to figure out how to beat yeah i was i was trying to think of you know a, a good way to incorporate a chant in the sandstorm that i could like get in touch with your guys' students before basketball team <laughs> see if i could uh help you have to have that same dilemma um so uh what is the number one thing you miss about manhattan um Man, that's a great question. Besides re re raspberry bean dip. Yeah, I was going to say uh, so long taco lucha is probably uh, very near the top of the list. Uh, you know, we, we loved being in Manhattan. It was great. Our kids grew up in Manhattan and, um, and, and really grew up around our teams. And so we were fortunate to um, really have, our, uh, have Matthew, who's now a freshman in high school, and Audrey, who's going into sixth grade. But they were really there and present and it's a family atmosphere and a big time athletics department and so you know to to really have matthew around coach martin and coach weber's teams and be able to you know he was the kid that did the kid interview with tyler lockett several years ago and so those are incredibly fond memories that we had of being able to incorporate our family into um into the department and get them to meet the student athletes and coaches and be a part of that experience that's probably the thing that we miss most about being at k-state all right, I got three more of them, and I'll let you get back to being uh, the greatest athletic director in the history of the Horizon League. The first one is, before you got the job with Cleveland State, how many green ties did you own? I had uh, just one green tie for the interview process <laughs> for Cleveland State, and I had uh, collected an assortment of ties. I think I, by the time I got Cleveland State, I had the whole rainbow of of uh, ties in, in the wardrobe, but uh, it has definitely transitioned from uh, purple to all green. I try to wear green on campus every day. 
Um, it, that part's really important to me from a, from a school pride perspective and trying to spread the good word that we're doing. And so um, there is a ton of green in the closet when there wasn't any uh, a little over two years ago. Definitely. And I, I hope any, any Cleveland State fans listening to this question stop listening, but I believe you're a White Sox fan. So and you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty entrenched in Indians territory. You wear your White Sox hat around town at all. I, I have to be a little bit more diplomatic and understated. Um, Matthew, my son, has adopted the White Sox and is a fanatic. Um, he does not follow the diplomacy line. He, he is all White Sox stuff all the time. He'll wear it to school. He wears it to the games. We went to the doubleheader with the Indians on Memorial Day. And um, we're passionate about the White Sox, but I've got to keep it professional depending on the setting I'm in. See, I, you can fool me and tell me that you're running for senator in Ohio with that answer. That, that was pretty good. <laughs> and, and then the final one, I want to know, when are we going to see your Vikings in Manhattan, whether it be men's, women's, basketball, uh, any of the other sports that cross over? When, when, are, when am I going to be able to show up in Manhattan and heckle you in person? Yeah, we're open to it, man. I think first on my list is to get, uh, get something with Coach DeBinney on women's soccer. Um, but uh, I've had... Uh, you know, have texted uh, back and forth. Actually, Drew Spiraw and I, um, as they were looking for kind of replacement games uh, this last uh, non-conference season, we, we talked a little bit about whether there'd be an opportunity to play, but it's something I'm definitely open to. I'd love to make the trip back to Manhattan and, and be bringing one of our teams down there to, to play, and we certainly would open the doors um, to any of uh, the Wildcat teams that would want to play here. So I'll be talking to Gene, and we'll, we'll figure something out. Maybe we can get a series going. Perfect. Uh, Bosco's boys will, will sponsor the Scott Wildcat Classic. We'll get you in there. We'll get uh, Montana State, you know, get Bethany to bring her team down there, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can make it happen. So that's all we have. Uh, this went longer than I thought it was was going to. I appreciate you giving me the time, but we always give our guests any platform to you know say anything they want to anyone who might be listening so i'll give you that platform and then we'll sign yeah i appreciate having the opportunity to visit uh certainly to reflect on my time at k-state i'm very fond of all the folks that are there and so shout out to to all of them that happened to listen um and that you know all the fans and, and friends that that we met along the way just you know want to let them know that we're doing well here in cleveland and uh, we look forward to, to staying in touch with all of our our wildcat family Perfect. We love it. To all the boneheads, we'll be going live on Thursday on the Locker Room app. Uh, come, come prepared. Tell me what other AD you want me to try to get on the live show when we have the AD show. Jamie Pollard probably will not answer my text messages, so don't even try to get me to ask him to come on. Scott, thank you for coming on. Hashtag Go Vikes. And I think if anyone uh, needs a team to adopt in any of their 17 sports, I say uh, you give Cleveland State a chance. Buy some season tickets for basketball. It's purple up in Ohio. And I uh, hope everyone has a great week.
Podcast Network.